Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. My name is Jackie Lewis. I'm the clinical nutritionist for BN Multi. Today's episode, we have Claire Esler, who is actually a weight loss surgery patient. Claire had her sleeve in 2019. So today's episode will cover Claire's story and her journey through weight loss surgery and what led her there. But also as an interesting link, we are talking about her role at work and how that marries in with her post-surgical life as far as Claire being a hematologist and um, also dealing with, you know, pathology results for blood testing and um, monitoring patients' health via what turns up in our blood testing results. And with weight loss surgery, we often encourage and um, reiterate the importance of having these regular blood tests done so that we can check on certain markers for making sure that long-term health is guaranteed. That's mainly due to the risk of malabsorption and um, some depleted nutrients after weight loss surgery. So I thought it was a lovely marriage of, you know, a patient's story as well as some relevance in bringing back that importance of monitoring our bloods after weight loss surgery. So welcome, Claire. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks, Jackie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for joining me. Um, Yeah, it's lovely to, um, and we've just been nattering off here and exploring the whole story as well. I think it's a pretty fascinating area to look at. Tell me a little bit about what led you to having weight loss surgery in the beginning. I sort of was one of those people that sat on the fence about it for a while. So I had a referral from my GP that um, I had for almost a year before I actually went and saw a surgeon or chose a surgeon, but I just wasn't happy with my weight. I was fatigued. Iron deficiency has been a thing for me for a long time. And a lot of bariatric and obese patients have a lot of malnutrition based on their eating habits and how they eat and what they eat. And I think I was certainly one of those patients. And of course, there were those vein type things like I was getting married and I wanted to look nice in a wedding dress. So yeah, once I made my decision, it all happened really quickly. I chose a surgeon, booked in a date two weeks later. So (laughs) once I, yeah, once, once the decision was made, we were very, very quickly on the road. You can only sit on the fence for a certain time, I think. And then you find yourself on the other side, don't you? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you were saying like you obviously um, having your, your expertise in the hematology area, you were saying that you were quite particular about choosing the um the whole process and the you know the support program that um was linked to your surgeon tell me a little bit about what led you there well i um having a history of iron deficiency it was um really important to me to have really good follow-up care which meant well for me that meant being regularly in touch with a specialist gp and my surgical team and having really really regular blood tests um and having a look at those you know i look at my own blood results. I'm very pedantic about making sure everything's okay and and having that regular contact to know what's going on. You know, I think people may underestimate the changes that they go through postoperatively, particularly without the support of a GP, understanding of your blood results and a good multivitamin to support you along the way. It's, um, it can be quite a challenge for some people. So that was really important to me to keep me on track and to keep, keep me towards my goal of keeping my weight off. It's fascinating to see that, you know, you, that, having that understanding of the importance of the blood tests, what sort of things are you looking for in your results as you go along your journey as well? Obviously, iron deficiency is a consideration. And the statistics 
show that up to 49% of patients iron deficient within the first year after their surgery. And yeah, if you went into that with iron deficiency, it's something certainly to keep an eye on. Yeah. Interestingly, my iron has been great since oh. my surgery. So that, you know, that's been really good for me. And I can tell in, in myself that my iron has improved and it's, you know, it's staying good. Um, but for me, looking at, you know, and we were talking about this before the recording, I'm, I want to know what's normal for me and what my bloods normally look like. Having a, a blood test in isolation is great. You get some good information out of it. But what I'm really looking for is trends and what's going up or what's going down. Is something moving slowly? Is there a big jump? Is there something that I need to, you know, tweak up? Because um, often it's too late by the time we start becoming symptomatic. It usually means something's, you know, a little bit far gone and I might be very fatigued or um, I'm a very, very fair person. So any sort of changes to my skin, skin tone is really obvious. I had, you know, I get, I had a lot of yellowing under my eyes and, you know, keeping track of my vitamins and my vitamin D and my B12 and folate really means that, you know, those changes aren't there anymore because mm. I'm on top of them and my bloods are fine. I know that they're fine. I know that they're stable. So there's nothing for me to really worry too much about or tweak in my diet or with my multivitamins. I guess what you're saying is it takes the guesswork out of it too, doesn't it? When you know that you've got, you know, three or six or nine monthly bloods that you, when you do start to create that historical understanding of yourself, I think a lot of people walk away without a, even a copy of the pathology results as well. So it's hard for us to see those kind of things. So I think it's mm. also a good thing to, you know, ask for a copy to take home with you so that next time you can have a look and, and see what's changing. And while I don't encourage Dr. Google, it's inter- it's important <laughs> to take responsibility, I think as well, so that you can have those informed conversations with your primary care group, um, you know, to, to say, I noticed that maybe ferritin is here last time and now it's slightly different. Can you tell me why that might be? Um, mm. So it's not not just to tick the box off and go get your bloods done and, yeah, you're fine. And I like to know what fine is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when when we report results, we obviously have a normal range, um, which is different, you know, between ages and genders and all different things. Every analyte has a different reference range, we call them. And um, a lot of people people or clinicians won't even action anything until it's below that range. But when really, if you're at the lower end of the range or the higher end of the range, that really says a lot about what's going on, particularly if you were quite reliably like bang on in the middle. So if I was bang on in the middle of the iron range and all of a sudden I see myself drop down to like 10, 9, 8, I'd know that there's something going on here and it's something that I need to have a look at, even though it may not have officially dropped below the reference range. I agree with that. And I think there is that reactivity in that um, we have seen that it, people do tend to wait until they've fallen out of range and then they go, okay, I'll do something about this now. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you're at the bottom range of iron, how catastrophic that can be for your health. There's anxiety, you can't sleep, there's pain in your bones, there's all sorts of different things in the cognitive decline. Even mm. in the middle of the range for some people, if you're bouncing around at the bottom of the range, imagine how good you could feel if you were back up at the top again. So it's, I think we accept that those lower end range results are what we say acceptable. But I also think, you know, how much better could we feel if everything was up at that, you know, mid range at least or slightly above that? Oh, 100%. I mean, people, I'm not happy bouncing around the bottom of a range of something. I sort of want myself to be bang on in the middle. And because I've been iron deficient for so long, I really don't feel the effects until I really bottom out. Iron studies is a really fascinating one because it's not just iron by itself. We look at a couple of other different things like your ferritin and your transferrin, and they're really good markers to give you a prediction of what your iron is going to do, which is 
a bit different to a lot of the other things we test for. So before your iron starts dropping, you see drops in your ferritin, which may tell us that your stores are getting a bit low. And it's, Mm. you know, then the times for action, it's not when you've got a full-blown anemia and you're pale as anything and, you know, you can't get off the couch. It's, you know, it gives us ideas of when to take some action and when to start tweaking things to make us feel better. And uh, yeah, I think we also, like you say, we can get used to the feeling of not being awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I often will say this to um, patients that I speak with on the phone who are, you know, they're calling up to reorder their multis because they've fallen off and they they know that they have, but now they're in trouble. And they're the Mm. calls that we get often at BN Multi is, you know, I'm I'm in um, recovery mode. Basically, it's like I'm paying a big catch up. And I think once you get to that point, you're feeling so badly that you actually becomes quite a normal sensation in a lot of ways. And I think there's a level of acceptance of, you know, feeling below par where Mm. we could be feeling much more energetic. The other thing I feel is that perhaps when we have been in the obese category, our understanding of feeling fantastic is slightly different than, you know, maybe others who haven't been carrying that weight around. So we get this kind of different understanding of what feeling good is and the weight loss gives you a good feeling, but you could feel better if your bloods were in good order as well. Hundred percent, and that's something I didn't realize until after my surgery was how much better I could feel because you just get so used to feeling like you felt. Yes, and um, that change is you know really remarkable. And just on that, what are you noticing? Like now that you keep your iron in the you know healthy range, and you're feeling differently about that, and your bloods are showing that. What do you notice shows up in life for you every day? Every I just have more energy. I used to be a very big napper, and that probably also tied into. Um, Tied into me doing continuous shift work as well. So I um, I had low iron. I was working a 24-7 roster. Um, I was just fatigued constantly. Um, so that's definitely improved for me. But also things like concentration and cognitive ability, like towards the end of the day, I might find myself becoming a bit foggy or a bit, you know, not as sharp as I'd like to be. And that's certainly something that I didn't even notice, but I, I notice now. I notice that I can, you know, sustain my concentration for longer and, and yeah, that's been really good for me. And I think it means that the day at work doesn't take everything you have. So then you've got time in your spare time to actually enjoy life and, you know, mm. explore new things and give, you know, relationships and family a whole lot more, you know, effort rather than that, oh, my God, I've just got through the day at work and that is enough. Um, we have a, like a better coping capacity for, um, you know, filling up our lives with other things than just kind of that um, grind, I suppose, of just getting through the day, get home and just you know recuperating um yeah and then going back again the next day so it is um I think we underestimate that and um oh, I mean you know three years ago I couldn't have gone to work come home recorded a podcast done all that sort of stuff it would have just been way too much and it's been you know I've had a hectic week this week at work it's always hectic in pathology especially with COVID going around but um yeah it's I would have never thought about doing something like this it's just not being able to concentrate not having the energy to do it and I I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah, <laughs> really, it's sort of this is my new normal, and that's fantastic. Isn't that great? And mm. I, yeah, off off topic and heading more into your personal story. You also put time into rescue animals, and it sounds like you do have a very full life. And um, I think, yeah, it gives you the capacity to to take that on as well. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> rescuing pets and um, cats and dogs. It's a brilliant. Oh, and I certainly like keeping 
busy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one way to do it is, uh, yeah. what do they say? It's like herding cats. <laughs> I literally <laughs> do that. And so tell me about your experience so far with your weight loss surgery. Was it a dream run or have there been some difficulties along the way for you? Um, I definitely had some difficulties. So um, I had a, um, a hiatus hernia repair at the same time as my surgery. Um, and that was a bit scarred and a bit restricted post-op. So um, my body would just reject food randomly. It just wouldn't go down. And I had quite a bit of vomiting mm. for quite a number of months after, which wasn't a lot of fun. I had to stay on the dreaded soft food stage for much longer than than a normal person. But once that sort of started itself out, sorted itself out, sorry, it became much easier. I lost my gallbladder last year, which is a very common yes. <laughs> post-weight loss surgery treat that we get to expect. And interestingly, the same surgeon that did my weight loss surgery also took out my gallbladder. So I just need to find a couple more things for him to take out. And <laughs> Part of the weight loss, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um <laughs> Yeah, so that that was also a bit of a challenge. Uh, gallstones were horrendous. Um, mm. But other than that, I mean, I'm in a good place now where I can eat most things quite comfortably. I find I have, you know, if you compare me to other people that have had the same surgery as me at the same point, I think I eat a little bit less than them. I'm still not quite at a cup of food per serving, but certainly trying to make the most of what I'm eating and making sure that I'm keeping my blood tests in mind, that I'm getting the nutrients I need and and um, and the things I need to sustain me so I can feel good like I've been feeling long term. Mm. That's interesting that you take your results and then you implement them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm. you know what's going on and so you know then what to do and you can do that with, you know, the food choices you make or, you know, upping one sort of nutrient if it's falling low. And I think that's the key is that ongoing management like we see you know some patients have low vitamin d for example Mm -hmm. so we keep them on their regular dose of the multivitamin but knowing that vitamin d needs a boost we put that in alongside just for Mm -hmm. a period of time so when you're in contact with your team on a regular basis you get those nice little tweaks that just kind of keep everything bubbling along well like you say before deficiency shows up and generally when it's showing up in external symptoms it's been happening for a long time yeah off air we were talking about, you know, your understanding of blood cells and how you get to see them under the microscope, which fascinates me. And we were talking about different things that you would see in, you know, a sample of blood as far as nutrient deficiencies and that sort of stuff goes. How does it look to you through the microscope, different, uh, say, dehydration or iron deficiency or that sort of stuff? How is that showing up in the blood cell? So by the time it, um, so part of my role is looking at our blood cells under a microscope. So we make something called a peripheral smear where we make a thin layer of ourselves so we can examine them all individually. Then we apply stain to that to show up different features. So we see a lot of changes changes in our red cells in particular with nutrient deficiencies. Um, Iron deficiency is a really, really good one. We see some very specific changes. So a lot of the time the cells are smaller than a normal cell and they're not as hemoglobinized. So they appear really pale under the normal stain that we have. Um, They also have changes in their shape. So they become elongated and turn into something that we call a pencil cell. So they become very elongated, sort of with a little kind of a point on either end, I suppose, sometimes a rounded point on either end. Um, And that's usually once your iron deficiency is quite progressed, you start seeing those changes. The more severe it gets, we see other changes, something called a target cell, which Mm -hmm. looks like what it sounds like. It looks like a target. Really bad. We can also see fragmented bits of red cells, which are pointy and sharp looking. Interesting. And might not mean that much to us if we don't have 
have a microscope. But no. What's the big deal? If our blood cells are not forming properly, what's the big deal? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want them to form properly so they do what we want them to do. So all these things fall under us being anemic. So we Mm. see those things in anemia and that's when we don't have enough hemoglobin circulating in our bodies and we don't have enough oxygen carrying capacity. Um, So we're not peripherally oxygenating like we should. Um, So that's when we get things like really bad fatigue, we'll look a bit pale, um, feel a bit foggy. That sort of stuff comes with being anemic. Um, And it it can be a medical emergency. Um, Mm. If if you're severely anemic, you're at risk of, you know, a whole lot of different things. You're at risk of heart attack, stroke, all the different things because you're not Mm. hemoglobin, like oxygenating your body effectively Mm. and appropriately. Yeah, we like to have oxygen on board, don't we, really? It's important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, We do like a bit of oxygen. And as far as that goes, it's like antioxidant, the, the, the ability to detoxify and to, you know, kill off like these free radical invaders in our system. So are our defences down for things like um, cancer and illness, like immune system responses and that sort of thing? Is it affecting white blood cell production as well? And overall, mm. how does that impact our health on a, mm. a longer term? Um, it is a fascinating area. And um, I do feel that we, that an uh, iron deficiency is so prevalent around the world, it sort of has lost its impact because it's so common, but it does have huge, you know, repercussions on overall health and I think performance and mental health as well. Interestingly, it's one of the ones that we have a really good uh, testing ability for because when we test for iron, we don't just do iron, we do things like ferritin and transferrin, which helps us understand how much iron is being functionally taken around your body as well as how much iron you've got in stores. Mm. But you see changes in those things as well before, you know, your actual serum iron levels starts dropping off and it can give you a picture of what's, what might come and gives you the opportunity to tweak your multivitamins or tweak your diet and um, and stop yourself progressing to iron deficiency, which like we've been chatting about can be really dangerous. You're right. And I've been referring to it as iron but you're right, in the bloods we have iron, transferrin and ferritin. And mm-hmm. really the one I look at is ferritin, which shows me, firstly, a transferrin will show me if we're transporting it and how are we storing it. Iron needs quite a few other nutrients to be effectively stored and transported. So B12 and the B group and that sort of thing are big players in that as well. So to me, looking at it from a nutritional perspective, I go, oh, iron's changing, ferritin is low, you know, we're, we're heading towards something here. I'll then question, is there enough iron in the diet, but are the cofactors there? We call them um, cofactors like other nutrients that help that nutrient mm. to function. So it gives me as a nutritionist an understanding as well of other kind of red flags that I need to look at. So then I'll go, okay, so this is happening in the transferrin and the ferritin is changing. Um, what's B12 doing? And are you supplementing on a regular basis? That's sort of thing. So it gives, like you say, and we were talking about before that jigsaw puzzle of putting together a bigger picture of health that's on paper and having the history of um, regular blood testing is, it kind of gives you that ongoing story of somebody's health as well. Yes. Which is great after surgery because health markers are changing, um, you know, diabetes markers and inflammation markers and that sort of stuff. So that regular checking in is actually quite a motivating thing to see as your, um, you know, your body starts to change from a metabolic perspective as well. 
Oh, absolutely. It's um, it's important for so many perspectives and getting familiar with what's normal for you because what's normal for you might not be normal like what's normal for someone else um, and allows you to pick up those small changes that may fall within a reference range but isn't quite right for your body and for your normal physiological state. Yeah, and that we talk about our normal because we're all different. And so dehydration is a big um, factor in particularly soon after surgery. How does that look under the microscope as far as your blood cells go? So our blood cells do something called crenating. So they, because they don't exchange fluids in the same way, they sort of get a bit puffy and spiky, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. So they normally, a red cell, I should have started with what normally a red cell looks like. So they kind of look a little bit like a donut. They're two concave discs. We call them biconcave discs. So they look like there's a, a ring of red around the outside with what we call a central power where there's nothing. Thing. Um, then dehydration and nutrient deficiencies change that shape. So yes, with the dehydration, they'll sort of become spiky looking, I suppose, and they have little protrusions off them as the cell is dehydrated of fluid and water, essentially. I think we're pretty clever. And I think 70% of us is water. So the minute you're changing that um, mm. balance, you've got all sorts of things changing. Yeah. The more severe your dehydration gets, the less um, the less liquid or serum component of your blood you have as well. So you, your red cells look packed under the under the under the microscope so because you lose that serum component you've got a higher proportion of red cells in your blood at times and you can see that too yeah more concentrated Mm. and so getting back to you Mm -hmm. talking about the lead up to your surgery tell me like you obviously you said it was a long time sitting on the fence and then suddenly boom you were up and doing it what was that moment like for you oh it was I think people were a bit surprised I just once I had an idea that that's this is what I was doing I was committed to it, you know, had an understanding of what I was doing. I knew why I was doing it. I knew the risk. I um, I knew what I wanted out of it. And yeah, it, it all happened very quickly. I, I'll never forget the, um, my surgeon was, I think the anesthetist had put my cannula in and the surgeon was about to pull me out. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, I think you're the most relaxed person I've ever seen at this point. I just, I just didn't have any fears about it at all. I guess yeah. it was, I was secure in my decision. I felt confident in what I was doing and what I was hoping to achieve. That's good. And do you think that comes from that time it took in the lead up? Was that when you did lots of reading and research and that sort of stuff? Or did you just kind of sit and think about it and then go, okay, I'm committed? Is it more about commitment for you that you felt confident in? Or was it that you'd kind of done a lot of reading and um, gotten up to speed on, you know, what to expect and felt like you were had a handle on it from more of that educational perspective? I think it was a it was it was a bit of both for me. I am a very analytical person. It's why I'm a scientist, but I- Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, you know, you can overdo it and go down a rabbit hole and psych yourself out of it. So it was, for me, it was about finding a balance of educating myself enough to make an educated decision and also just having the guts to say, I just have to do this. I can't, you know, if I, I could research this for the next 10 years, I just need to make a decision and do what's best for me. So finding a, a surgical team that did have the follow-up that I wanted as well was important to me. So that was something that came into my decision-making as well. That's a good thing to do. And mm. was that an easy thing to find that, um, and has it kind of met your expectations? afterwards yeah so 
I was lucky my GP was on it, knew what I was talking about and recommended someone that turned out to be really good. And the follow-up has been amazing. And I guess about the thing about me is I'm not having that understanding. I'm not afraid to say, hey, I think I need a blood test. Hey, can you do an iron studies for me? I will actively follow up that sort of stuff because it's important to me. I think it should be important to people. Yeah, I guess it's, you know, we know that we've changed how our bodies work and we know what that leaves us with. So it is up to us to kind of fill in those gaps with, Mm. you know, doing those right things, the supplementation and the regular checking on seeing how that's all working out as well. When you had your surgery, what was the first thing you noticed to change about your health? I, after the little hurdle that was the illness afterwards, I noticed my energy levels change probably about four to five months after was when I started getting more energy, being more focused. Things changed that I didn't expect to change. Like my feet lost weight. For some reason, I was very surprised that my feet were losing weight and things like your fingers. I had to get all my rings resized, just an amazing amount. It was just remarkable to see. I didn't anticipate the psychological impact of the changes in my body. I um, I was a little bit I suppose, dysphoric for a while. I thought I was a lot larger than I was in reality and wasn't able to go to a shop without buying totally the wrong size and (laughs) (laughs) having to put a belt on a shirt and turn it into a dress and that sort of things. It was... It was, yeah, the, the the psychological side is something that I didn't place much significance on being an analytical scientific person and then wishing I had invested more in that before. Mm, that's interesting. We do hear that so much is that whole, wow, I don't understand how small I am. And I look in the mirror or I see myself in the reflection as I'm walking past a shop front or something like that. And it's like, I don't even recognize that it's me. Oh, I do and that all the time. Do you? Yeah. Just still, still. It's like, I remember being at Bunnings and they had a security camera display and I walked past and I was scared of the person until I realized it was me because I thought there was someone near me. It turns out it was just me, which was kind of even scarier, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? I, um, mm. I've had a moment like that, but it wasn't because I'd lost a whole stack of weight. It's because I'm getting older. I was like, who is that? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, it's me. So, um, yeah, yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you. I think that's interesting. And and that first kind of four to five months where you, you know, weren't feeling awesome and it wasn't like that, you know, amazing, here I am, I've just had the surgery and I'm feeling great. How did you feel about that? Did you, was there any fear around that that might be it for you and that you, you know, worried that food was never going to be comfortable or, you know, having trouble with, what you can eat and that sort of thing. Was that a time for you where you sort of had to work through how long will this go on and what if this is it? Uh, I... I guess for me, it was finding out why that was the case. And, you know, I had a barium swallow afterwards um, just to make, you know, to see what was going on and make sure everything was okay. But I guess that comes back to being a scientist and being quite analytical. I wanted to know why Mm. I was feeling the way I felt and what that meant for me long-term. And, you know, even though we were all very sure it was because of the hernia repair, I guess nothing was 100%. And I just had to give myself time to heal and take it easy and maybe my journey isn't the same as someone else's but that's okay because my journey doesn't have to be. I think it's a time where we learn a bit of patience and I do see that in our group it's like this is happening and when will that stop and it's like Mm. well it is time to just wait and it's it's a lot of watching and waiting to see um, how long these things take to pass.
pass. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time they do iron themselves out and it's a process. But I have heard in our group, we have a few people who term it buyer's remorse. It's like, oh my God, I've done this surgery and now, you know, I, I just wish I could undo it. And so many people jump in on those posts and they're like, hang in there because it does get better. Oh, um, so it is, yeah. you know, I think those forums are good space for touching base with others who, whilst our journey is different, it's just that reference point of, whoa, what can I expect here? And getting that, you know, it's almost like a survey, isn't it? Of 90% of people said it gets better. So it's going to get better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I so never I'm building our. Yeah. I never regretted it. I never had that. Oh my God, what have I done? I've made a horrible mistake. I never had that. I knew that long term it was in my best interest. It was in the best interest of my health to do what I'd done. So I didn't ever have the, you know, oh my God moment during it. I, I mm-hmm. went into it knowing that it would be a challenge and that things wouldn't be the same. And for me, that was what it was all about. I didn't want things to be the same um, well, because yeah. that's that's why I was where I was. I wanted my life to be different. And for me, it was just a tiny bit more challenging. So the a lot process of, time in a bathroom. of getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is another thing we need to watch for is that ongoing vomiting is the niacin deficiency, which is can be a medical emergency. Um, yeah. So that's one thing if um, patients are experiencing you know, more vomiting than is what we'd call normal, it's a good thing to just make sure that those um, particularly niacin is in good order and yeah checking on that on a regular basis thank you i think your story is pretty fascinating given that you've got that you know the scientific edge to it and you can see what's going on for you i think it also highlights that importance of responsibility for our own story and our own health and i think that's you know if that's something that we did aim for uh, to be a takeaway of today's episode i think that's been covered beautifully yeah i think it's a fascinating area that you've married the two the weight loss surgery and the hematology together and i'm so grateful that we got to share the story and your you know scientific understanding of how it all works as well um Mm. is there anything else you want to share with us oh i guess not i just i guess i never considered how much my background influenced how my journey turned out or how how my understanding of pathology influenced the surgeon i chose and what i do now and and the multivitamins i take i i see so many people not take their multivitamins and i just want to shake them because you know it's you, you won't know until it's too late and why give ourselves the opportunity to feel not optimum when there is a really simple way to stay on top of it good point but yeah it's just i i until we started chatting and, and until someone put the question to me, I never realized how much the pathology side of my life influenced the weight loss side of my life. So isn't that interesting? How yeah, yeah just our our common understanding or what we think is our day-to-day, you know, work, how mm. that you know, that information does impact on our overall um, choices. And and look at where it led you to kind of go through that analytical period Um, and looking at sort of leaving no no stone unturned in the long term will be a huge benefit for your um, overall health Mm. because most of us are reactive. We're not necessarily looking for what will I tweak today and which (laughs) nutrient will I top up? Um, We're looking at, oh, my God, the wheels are falling off. What am I going to do? So, and it is 
human nature, but it's also how we've been brought up. You go to the doctor when you're sick. You don't go to the doctor when there's nothing wrong. So it's also a real change in mindset. I think this more preventive insurance policy kind of thinking is let's just check that before it does become a problem or let's just take that multivitamin as the insurance policy against mm-hmm. these other things. So, yeah, it is, um, it's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, particularly in the bariatric community who have, you know, those tighter reins, we, we change a lot faster. We don't get enough in. Like if we become nutrient, it's much easier for us to become nutrient deficient because of how little we eat or what we can eat. Um, so it's that extra level of necessary for us to be responsible for our health and well-being and keeping ourselves on track and keeping up with your bloods and what's going on for you is is a really great and easy way to do that. Go get your blood test every six months. Have a mm. look at it. Get vaccinated. Get your blood test done. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I saw like an insurance policy on an insurance policy. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claire Esler, for your time. It's been enlightening. And also I think really it'll be just a really great message for those who are kind of either not clear on the importance of, you know, checking your bloods and staying on top of your um, nutrients and your supplements after surgery. Um, but also we got like a beautiful weight loss surgery journey story mm. intermingled. It's been mm. brilliant. Thank Aww. you so much. I really Thanks, appreciate Jackie. your time. Thanks, Jackie. No problem at all. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.